Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode where we interview an analyst on a single stock. And today we are talking with Sean. He is also, he's the investment manager at Deep Sale Capital. His pseudonym or his name on Twitter is Deep Sale Capital. Um, and it, this was a lot of fun. It's his first time on the show. We're talking about a, a pretty illiquid small cap stock called Liat Corp. I believe I'm saying that right. Yeah, um, it has the South African uh, accent from the founder's name. So we do not know exactly, but uh, we could be botching it. And he goes into what it does. And it's it's a, a, a kind of a fascinating business, not only in terms of the opportunity that they have in front of them, but the valuation is pretty compelling as well. And he knows the business pretty thoroughly. Did you have any highlights from the interview? Yeah. And I just want to warn again, this is a small cap stock. So we're not, you know, none of us on the show are trying to change the price or anything. It's just analysis. So do not be going buying or selling immediately after this report goes out. That's not what or we're if you about. do do it because you looked at it's it. It's your decision. It's your own decision. Uh, but yeah, I, I really liked talking about their competitive positioning versus others in the space and why he thinks there is a sort of advantage here with uh, their helmets, uh, the established stuff with neck braces. The safety but, brand. Yeah. And then it's also the way he goes through it. And he kind of, we go through different parts. So at the end, I kind of got the, you know, with a full story, they're at a moment where they're the cash flow and some of the, you know, dynamics with the business are making their cash flow look worse than it actually might be over the next three years. So we could be at an interesting inflection point. And also the industry is one that got hit by COVID. So right now, investors are having a tough time valuing it. And that's where you know opportunities can arise sometimes. All right. Well, before we get to the interview, we want to talk about our sponsor, our exclusive sponsor, 7investing. I know if you're a recurring listener, you hear us talk about them all the time, but 7investing is an investing service that recommends seven stocks every month. Um, for those of you that are maybe hearing this for the first time, they have more than 200 stocks that they've covered, research reports on more than 200 different stocks that have built up in the portfolio over, over the years of recommendations. So using our code money, you get $100 off the annual subscription. You get all those reports and all the new ones to come as well. We think it's well worth the value. And part of their strategy, I, I think it's worth kind of uh, harping on this is letting the winners outperform the losers. Um, and so this is kind of an opportune time to be looking at that strategy where you're going to pick some, not all of these are going to be home runs, but the home runs that are, uh, are going to, uh, you can compensate for the losses. You can score a hundred runs on those. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, the, the, I think they have a couple businesses in here, businesses in here that certainly have long-term opportunities. Um, well, so guess- we should, we should say that, the code is not permanent. It's through the end of 2022. So again, make sure to check them out right. before the end of the year. All right. And it's code money uh, at checkout. But without further ado, here's our interview with Deep Sale Capital. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. 
Okay, welcome in. Today we are joined by Sean, who is an investment manager at Deep Sale Capital. You may know him from Twitter uh, at Deep Sale Capital, and Thanks. I believe it's the first time on the show. So welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Excited uh, to be here, guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking about Liat Corp, which is a company that uh, I have to admit I've I had never heard of. I'm not not in the not their consumer co- cohort. Um, so I guess. Maybe provide a little bit of background for listeners who have never heard you before. Yep. Um, and then kind of what's, how'd you come across Liat to begin with? Yeah, great. Yeah. So, um, so Deep Sale Capital. So we're a US-based uh, investment management firm. Um, so we, uh, we run a strategy that's a long, short strategy, uh, biased towards net long. We focus mainly on quality, growth, and microcap uh, companies. And uh, we utilize kind of a similar f- framework to like a Chuck Acri uh, at Acri Capital or like Thomas Gaynor uh, at Markel. And uh, w- we call it the four pillars of an exceptional investment. So we look for things that have uh, high quality business models, uh, that have exceptional management, um, that have uh, substantial long-term growth prospects, and that have reasonable valuations. Um, you guys can find more, uh, you can check out my website or check me out on Twitter at uh, Deep Sale Capital. Um, we'll throw those in the show notes as well. Awesome. Great. So Liat Corp, I found this, I, I tend to post a lot of questions on Twitter, um, trying to get feedback from you know, my followers and other people. And I, I think I posted a question on like, what was a, what, what's a, a company under $50 million or under $500 million that has a great uh, management team? And I think there were a few people that actually posted Liat Corp. So um, just as part of my process, I kind of grabbed the name from there, checked them out, just made sure they kind of fit with my overall uh, focus. So I usually kind of look through and I do kind of like a, make sure that things kind of match up with my sector focus. And, uh, and this one did and make sure there's no immediate red flags. Um, so uh, so I, I added it to a watch list of mine and, and eventually just kind of screened well and, and, and dug in and really liked what I saw. And, and, um, and so, yeah, that's how I found it. All right. What does Liat do? And maybe add on uh, any relevant history here, because I think if any investor checks yeah. out that stock chart, they're going to see that I think it went down 98% or even more after the IPO two decades ago. So any history and what they do. Yeah, so um, I think the best place to start is kind of the origin story of Liat. So Liat was founded by uh, Dr. Chris Liat, uh, who's from South Africa. So about 2006, 2007, he was, uh, so he's a motocross rider. So he was out riding with his son. I think it was his son's first ride, actually. And and they witnessed a fatality while they were uh, out riding. And, you know, at the time, I think his son was like six, seven or eight, something like that. He basically said... You know, I can't let my son ride. It just doesn't make sense. He was recently graduated doctor and was like, I got to figure out, basically, I need to figure out a way to make a brace that will make it okay that my son can ride again. And so that's kind of the origin story of it is that, um, you know, he started this company basically because of this, this incident that he witnessed. And, um, and so they, they did IPO in like 2007. It was a really small IPO. Um, and yeah, if you look back at the chart, it does kind of look really weird. That was, uh, I, I had to go back and actually do a little more research on exactly what happened here. So essentially, I think there was some, uh, there was a couple things going on. There was a restatement 
uh, involving, they, they tried to issue some preferred shares basically to, uh, to Chris and a couple of the other partners. And there was something that went wrong with the issuance and they, have, they had to actually issue class A shares. So basically like right after the IPO, it kind of looks kind of, the chart looks crazy. I mean, this is way back in 2007. So nothing to deal with now. They ended up doing like a settlement uh, where they issued them uh, class A shares or whatever, and some additional preferred shares later and, and basically made made right on their original ag- agreement with, uh, with, with um, the original partners. Um, and so that was like 2009-ish. There was a, at the time though, there was also a, something to point out um, which is which is relevant now. There was also a legal dispute that went on around the product design, essentially around the neck brace, and that came up in 2009, and that has since been uh, been resolved. And they won that case in 2017. So basically, they they won that legal case, which was was around the neck brace design. Um, so uh, so that's kind of what they do in kind of the beginning uh, uh, story there. And, and, and why the, the stock chart may look a little crazy um, if you look way back in 2017. But, um, but I can kind of go into what the company is now. Um, so it's really a, it's, it's a design and distribution company for protective uh, gear for the motocross and mountain biking space. They design and distribute um, neck braces, helmets, gloves, chest protection, and they've gotten into apparel recently, um, which is kind of like a newer, newer segment for them. Um, so they've got a ton of patents. I think they have 12 patents in the U.S. And they claim, I think they have a total of 90 patents either granted or in progress globally. So um, the patent portfolio is pretty strong. It really revolves around the neck brace and the chest protection. And then a new piece of technology that they recently patented that has just gotten into production, which is called the 360 turbine technology. And that is uh, basically in their helmets and um, and, and that's kind of a, that's kind of pushed their growth um, to a new level, especially this year. But um, but yeah, so the company's based in South Africa. Um, so like I said, it was founded by uh, Dr. Chris Liat, um, who still owns about 34% of the company. Um, and then the CEO has, has been with the company since 2010. His name's Sean McDonald. Um, he's also the director and he's the CFO, um, which I do kind of find a little odd that he's CEO and CFO, but he seems to do a great job of it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what they, what they do, um, overall. So what do, uh, I think listeners are probably wondering what kind of the economics look like for a business like this. So, you know, uh, manufacturing and distributing or designing, I should say, I don't know if the manufacturing's them as well, but, um, what do the economics look like for that? Yeah, so they they don't do any of the manufacturing um, themselves. That's all outsourced to China, which is very similar to most of the industry. So there's um, there's all the manufacturing is basically done um, in China. There's uh, so they so they do all the distribution, which is is kind of an important point here uh, because they do have a significant amount of working capital associated with the distribution part of the business. Um, so when I think of LEAP, like the value really comes from kind of like two, two, two places. It comes from the technology and it comes from the patents, which are all held in-house, right? Um, so it's really a technology and a design company. Um, so within that, um, they have a big R&D. Well, not big. It's actually a small team of about four R&D folks that Dr. Chris Leet, um, or Liat still, uh, still runs and manages. And they, they were the ones who developed the neck brace. 
And they were the ones who also developed the uh, 360 turbine technology. So they basically have de- developed like two industry leading safety um, technologies in the last 10 years. Um, and the, the, the 360 technology, I can, I'll get into a little later, but it, it is a big piece of why, why their 2022 has been so strong. Um, but then the other piece is the distribution, right? So they outsource all their manufacturing, but they do all their own distribution, which is mainly distributed in uh, Europe and in the United States, right? Um, they just started a, a, a distribution facility in the United States, basically as their main point of distribution, uh, which is part of why uh, they've basically scaled up their inventory levels and uh, over the last year or year year or so. Um, but overall, the economics, I mean, they look pretty good on paper. Uh, the gross margins are pretty consistently in the 40% range. The uh, return on investing capital generally is about 30 to 40% for the last four or five years. Um, their margins have been really stable. There is a little bit of margin um, uh, degradation around their shift away from the neck brace. So historically, their business has been mostly selling neck braces, right? And then over the years, they've added kind of all the additional pieces um, that someone would kind of call like a kit for someone who's riding motocross, right? So they've added the helmets. Um, they've added the, all the protective gear, like the shin guards, um, chest braces, and then most recently apparel. And the apparel gross margins are slightly lower than the neck braces. The neck braces are kind of like the highest gross margin product they sell. So there has been a little bit of margin coming down, but only a few few basis points um, or only a few percentage points. So it hasn't really been that material. Um, so I, I think they can kind of hold those margins going forward just from the way that they've set up the business to kind of be, you know, to the technology and patents up front and the kind of distribution on the other side. Um, you know, they don't, they don't go all the way. They don't have any retail or anything like that. So they're, they've kind of picked their two points within the value chain where they think they can kind of garner the best margins and, and that's their plan to stick to it. Um, so yeah, overall, I mean, I think that's, I, I don't think there's too much that's going to change. I did kind of touch on the, uh, the distribution and, uh, we can get into that later around how that is kind of one of the big pain points is their working capital management. Um, yeah, we can hit that on the cash flow section. Uh, okay, who do they great. sell through? Yeah, I guess that was one follow up I had too. And are they doing e commerce too? I guess maybe include that. Yeah, so they, so they sell through like regional distributors, and and they actually sell then to the retailers, right? So they have regional partners that do all the dist- that that basically they sell through. Um, so they, and and it gets to more your, uh, you know, your more local, uh, you know, shops that sell. Uh, you know, all sorts of different apparel and um, equipment for riders. And so it's a lot of like very specialty shops and things like that, that they sell through. They also do have an e-commerce channel that they do sell through, but it's still um, like, I think it's, um, it's based on the country and things like that, that do the actual distribution for them for that e-commerce channel. So okay. it's still all, it's, it's still all done. Um, most of their sales and the majority is in the U S and in Europe, there is a little bit in Asia, but it's all uh, it's all pretty much focused um, in kind of like the OECD con- countries. That's where most riders uh, are from. Gotcha. All right. And what are, what are your thoughts on the industry in general? We got sports gear and helmets. Kind of. I know they're not selling baseball helmets, but right. What are the growth prospects here for their specific market? And are there any competitors, or do they have that technological and patent advantage here? Uh, maybe 
I don't know, enlighten us on that. Yeah. So the the space overall. So COVID was great for the space, right? Um, you know, for for mountain biking and for motocross, it was great there because you're so you're socially distanced in both activities. So they saw ridership go up. So if you look at across the industry from 2000, uh, you know, or 2020, basically all the way till now, the growth has been pretty tremendous. Um, now that started to slow, right? COVID has started to roll over. Uh, this last quarter across the industry, you saw a lot of really um, negative year-over-year numbers. Uh, Liat was not in the in the same was not as negative, but just to give you a perspective, so in 2021, Liat their revenue was up 88, percent and then um, the first nine months of this year it was up 32. But then if you look at just Q3, it's only up five. So the overall industry is uh, you know is rolling over from from that big COVID bump. Now where does it go from here? I think probably we see 2023 as kind of a flat to down year. And then you kind of long-term expect low single digit kind of growth in ridership. Now that I think though, you, you still have to think about it where it, the most riders are really still in the U S and, and in Europe. So if moto, you know, really extends to kind of the rest of the world, there could be kind of another leg up eventually in that. And I, I think that's why you see kind of ridership, you know, in the kind of like, you know, low single digit, you know, for the next few years. And, but it, it could have kind of like some, some headwinds at some point in the future. Um, in terms of the competitors. So the overall space, there's, there's a number of different competitors. There's actually, if you're really interested, there's, a, there's a, um, it's called racer X. They do a survey every year of all the different apparel and, and who actually, you know, what apparel each rider has. Um, so you can, you can get a really good idea of like within each category, uh, which company uh, has, you know, which, uh, you know, own, has which uh, market share. So for Liat overall, they, they dominate neck braces. They're over 50% uh, market share in neck braces. But everything else, they're basically in like the mid-teens to even like low, uh, you know, low single digits, depending on the category. So... Um, you know, for neck braces, the company, their competitors are like Atlas, Alpine Star, EVS. Those are kind of the big ones. Um, their, their other big product is the helmet. And, and let me just go through real quick on the helmet technology because it is kind of important. So there's basically two different types of helmets that are sold uh, in the space. There's helmets that lease what's called the MIPS technology which is a Swedish company that basically patented this technology called MIPS. It's like, um, I forget what it is, but it's like motion impact something system and um, protection system. And uh, basically they have to pay a licensing fee to MIPS for that technology for their helmets, right? So Liat doesn't need to do that because they went out and developed their own technology, the 360 turbine technology. Um, there's another company called 6D that also has their own technology, but basically there's two types of helmet companies. There's the ones that are under this license agreement, and there's the ones that have their own technology. And the ones that have their own technology, you, um, you know, obviously they don't have to pay the licensing fee, which I try to do some research into exactly what the licensing fee is, but you know, it's it's probably it probably costs them, you know, something like three to five percent. Um, so, you know, Liat's in a better place there. Um, than their competitors um, that have to pay the fee. Uh, but, but the helmet wise, 
we had the the percentage that they actually have is I think in 2021 it was only two and a half percent. Now their numbers are up about uh, 88% year over year on helmet sales. So they're probably closer to 5% right now. But I mean, they could be 15, 20% of helmet sales, uh, you know, at steady state, no problem, I think. Um, so the helmets are going to keep growing um, just from rider shifting um, to, to, to their helmets. Um, even if the industry overall slows, their helmet sales are going to be strong for a number of years. And, um, you know, the, the other thing on some of the, the competition and some of the, um, you know, things that you'll see. So Liat is really known for their safety um, because of the fact that everybody knows them for the neck braces, which was like new technology at the time. That's kind of like their big thing is their, their, their safety is, 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 is like top notch. And um, so a lot of people have the, when, when they go out and they're buying a new kit, they have to get a neck brace. You know, if they're, you don't have to wear a neck brace, but if you want to wear a neck brace, basically half the people buy a neck brace from Liat. And so if you want the kit to all match, and if you look online, you'll see all the different kits. They're like all specialty colors, like purple, and you know, you want them to all match. So if you go out and you buy the neck brace that's one specific color, you're going to go buy the helmet and you're going to buy the shin guards and you know you're going to buy the braces and everything and the gloves and the goggles actually the goggles come with the helmet but um you're going to buy all the same stuff so that it all looks the same and you you know it's not only about safety but it's about looking good too um so i think that's one of the big things that people don't understand is because of their dominant position in braces people are going to go out and buy their helmets because they want them to all match they're going to go out to buy their other equipment and their apparel as well um, and, and I think that's kind of something that they'll, you know, they've got that tailwind for, for a while, I think. So. Okay. So you kind of, I mean, you kind of touched on the brand there. How do they get, I guess, like, how do they get their brand out there? Like, are they marketing with like pro moto, uh, athletes yeah. kind of thing? Yeah. So they have two, so they have a, a mountain bike team, um, which is through, uh, which is through, I think it's called pivot cycles. And that is more recent. And then they have a long-going uh, Moto Concepts team on the Moto side that's, that they sponsor, right? Um, and that's through the, that's the Pivot Racing team. Um, so they have one on kind of each side, the Moto side and the, the, the mountain biking side. They have made it a much bigger focus and, and a lot. And you, you'll notice some of the spend, uh, the marketing spend has gone up. They're trying to really make it a full, like a brand in, in the space, like make it cool. You'll see a bunch of their videos online. They're trying to really make it um, kind of like a cool brand in, in, in both spaces. So, um, so that's been a big push for them over the last two years is kind of getting their name out there, making sure that people know that they can get all of their apparel and all of their gear from them. And, um, and so they, they have put a lot of money into that. And I think that'll start paying off um, you know, over the next few years. Um, but yeah, I think that is part of a moat. Although I always say, I, I don't believe that brand specifically is necessarily the best moat. Um, in their case, I think, you know, their marketing has been strong. I mean, you can go and check out their reviews and stuff. People seem to love all of their equipment and their gear. They have some lightweight gear, um, you know, that, that people really like. So overall, I think, 
it, it can be a moat for them. But really, in the in in the end, their moat is their technology, and um, I think that's really where um, they're they're trying to push uh, the brand is we're the you know we're the safest uh, technology out there, and um, you know now you can get a full full kit from us. So. All right. Well, let's hit management again. Uh, I know you touched on it a bit. Yeah. Um, because we have the difference. The the doctor is still, uh, Liat, I guess the name of the corporation is still there. But you have this new CEO slash CFO that came in. And I know you mentioned that for small cap, micro cap companies, management is important because there are a lot of shady people in that space. Should shareholders trust this management team? And if so, why? Yeah. So the, the, the main two people in charge are Dr. Chris Liat and Sean McDonald. So Sean's been with the company since 2010. They basically built this from a neck brace that, um, you know, that Chris designed into, you know, now they're, they're, they're going to sell over hundred million dollars of uh, equipment um, this year. So, you know, pretty significant um, what they've done. They, they, they have no need to raise capital. They've said that multiple times. They're self-funding from here on out. Um, they've basically self-funded their whole distribution build, which uh, which I think we'll get into in a little bit. Um, over the last few years, they've self-funded all of their warehouse. Um, so you know they they have shown uh, that they're not serial capital raisers. They're not uh, they're not going to dilute you. They have no uh, they they haven't really done any significant capital raises recently. Um, and yeah, I don't think, I think what this business eventually will start doing is that it's going to start, um, it's going to start uh, pushing off a lot of cash in the next few years. And I don't know that they're going to, they're probably going to reinvest some of it in marketing and things like that, but they've, they've built out their distribution channel for the most part in the US. Um, maybe they do something similar in Europe, but um, they don't really have any need for a lot of the capital. And so I think, uh, you know, I think it comes, it, it goes from, Kind of like consuming a lot of capital to build out this distribution channel to um, them kind of starting to be uh, you know heavily free cash flow positive. Well, that kind of leads into valuation. What yep. do you think? I guess I, what does the valuation look like today? Um, what do you think kind of needs to happen for it to generate good returns? And then with that cash flow that they theoretically generate, do you think they'll end up buying back stock or kind of issuing a dividend? What what, what do you think they'll do with it? Yeah, yeah, no, all uh, all good questions there. Um, so I think it's, I think it's extremely cheap right now. If they can grow revenues at twenty to thirty percent, which I think they can, maybe maybe not next year, just because industry headwinds, but definitely kind of in the midterm. Um, you know, I think it's extremely cheap. It trades at on a trailing twelve month basis, like five times uh, EV to EBITDA, and uh, I think it's like the PE is around eight. So I mean, it's it's really cheap. Um, they, they do have the holiday season coming up and they've almost, uh, done $2 in, uh, EPS this year already. I think they can get close to three this year. So you're looking at a $19 stock and they just did $3 in, in EPS. Um, you know, that, that screams cheap to me. Um, you know, what do they do with the, the free cash flow going forward? I don't think they've said that. At least I haven't read that anywhere. Um, or that question hasn't been asked on any of their earnings call. Um, if you were I, CEO, if I were CEO, I mean, we could we could get into it, but I, I don't really I don't like dividends in in general. So I would I would like to see them buy back shares, honestly. 
um, you know, at, at some point in the future or, you know, or really try to expand the brand. Um, but I think there's only so much you can do in the space. So, you know, if they're really um, pushing off a lot of free cash flow, I'd love to see them buy back shares a few years down the line. Um, I forgot to put this question in there, but if I'm not mistaken, it's pretty thinly traded. Um, are they- Yeah. And that's another thing too. There's absolutely no, because there's, well, they're based in South Africa, right? They're, um, you know, they do an okay job with investor calls and things like that. But like, if you, if you look at their recent investor call, I think there were like two questions asked. Um, so there's, there's not a lot of interest from investors for, you know, more information on them. It's, 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 it's not the sexiest business out there. Right. Um, but yeah, there's no coverage, no forecasts that, that I've ever seen of, uh, you know, what next year's earnings or uh, revenue could be. So, you know, at some point, will someone pick up coverage? They, you know, they did, uh, you know, they, they have talked about things like, um, you know, uplisting and things like that um, at some point in the future, but, you know, they're really focusing on kind of rolling out this distribution channel. That was kind of like their big focus for the last year. That's now done. It's up and running. Um, so, so we'll see kind of as we go into next year, I'm, I'm sure they're probably a little bit um, just concerned at the overall industry where it sits right now. Um, you know, they've been able to put up top line growth, mainly just because of what, what I talked about with the helmets, but, um, but, you know, overall, how long is that going to last? And, you know, so I'm sure they're, they're kind of erring on the side of being cautious right now as they see uh, how the holiday season ends up and how we kind of go into 2023. Um, All right. So let's talk about the working capital free cash flow stuff. Yeah. Kind of look at the chart, revenue gross profit have, uh, you know, climbed higher, really inflected higher from 2020, but free cash flow hasn't. Right. Uh, you mentioned that they do have the distribution stuff. What do you think about, you know, any sort of handicap you got to put for a company that needs to have this, um, you know, working capital there all the time and will, is this temporary or should we always expect to have them kind of have this inventory build up and in, in the future? Yeah. So I think it's temporary. If you look at the the numbers, they've, you know, they've, they've built significant amount of inventory and um, you know, they, they've, they've done a, you know, you have almost all of their free cash flow has, has gone into uh, their working capital over the last two years or so. And, and it really was around setting up the distribution channel and scaling that up. And um, I think they they could do a better job on just managing working capital. Like if you notice um, in the most recent quarter, the, the AR and AP lines, um, you know, seem a little out of whack um, and they, they could do a better job of collecting their, their AR, honestly. Um, but outside of that, you know, that's kind of my only big gripe. At a certain point, right, you just can't fill it with, with more inventory um, based on their sales. I mean, a lot of the inventory in 3Q is really for the, the holiday selling season. And because of the way their distribution channel works, they do need to kind of, when they do grow, they do need to expand it and they do need to um, kind of fill it, fill it up. Um, at this point, though, I think it's pretty well scaled versus the uh, amount, uh, you know, they expect to sell. And they have noted... Um, you know, in their most recent presentation, that working capital management is a priority of theirs, and it will be a focus going forward. And they're, they're they've shared some ratios that they're looking to keep their overall working capital within in terms of their ratios to sales. So I think that is on their radar. Like they're they're the management has responded to investors that 
that have made that point. And so I expect that to uh, to not be an issue going forward. I don't think that um, you, you'll, you know, three years from now, you're, you're going to have the same issue. Some of this, um, some of the, some of this net income is, is going to fall into the, into the cash flow line for sure. Okay. Last question. Um, and this has been a pretty, I guess, convincing, uh, pitch on Liat, uh, mm-hmm. but what could go wrong? What, what are like yeah. pre-mortem where, how could this turn out poorly? Yeah. So there, there's a couple of different things that, that come to my mind when you ask that question. I think, you know, first is just the overall moto and, and mountain biking space. Like there was a COVID bump. You can clearly see it in all the numbers. So how bad is that, that, that other side look like? And I think that's what the whole industry is grappling with right now. Um, so, and, and that's why it trades at, at, at eight times, um, you know, cause I don't, I don't think anyone believes that the, the numbers are going to stay as high as they are. I think, um, so, you know, there's definitely a question on, on how far down it's going to go next year. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to go that far down for Liat. Uh, the overall industry uh, will probably see some downside, but they, I mean, 2022 with the helmet, and it was just a really big transition year for them. Um, and I think they they keep gaining share in the helmet market. So, um, so I, I'm, I'm not too worried about that, but, you know, overall, how, how does the industry go three, five years out? Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's got about, I think there's about seven and a half million riders on the moto side and on the mountain biking side, it's got a one and a half or so, um, you know, where do the numbers go from there? I think the industry is still kind of young. And like I, like I mentioned, it's really only in the States and, and in Europe. So could it get a lot bigger? Yeah. But you know, could it wane? And that's kind of a one danger right there. Um, you know, they have talked a lot about uh, adjacent products and things like that and, and other markets that they could potentially get into. And they've done a really good job over the last few years of expanding their product line from just the neck brace to all the other products to now have the full kit. And and, and eventually they got to apparel as well. So I, I think they're kind of at a point where it's like, you know, what's the next thing for them? There's not a clear answer to that. I think I have some ideas of what it could be, but I don't know that there's and and what they do might not work too. So there's kind of that risk of you know if you want to get if you want to get that next leg up in growth, you might have to take a little bit further of a step out from your core kind of markets and and find a new market and maybe that doesn't work. So they could fail there. Um, and then just the third one I always have in the back of my mind is just like management doing something stupid, um, like doing some well, uh, so, yeah, something, that yeah, that, yeah, it happens more often than people. Yeah, it happens a lot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I yeah. So that that one's always out there. I don't think they seem like that type of management. They've never done any sort of M and A, so I don't think they'll do anything there. Um, you know, I, I I can't think of what they could do that would be bad. But they they seem as long as the the two guys that I mentioned are still involved, I think um you know they'll do the right thing. Um, um are, uh, you mentioned earlier, you may have hit on it, and I just forgot, but you wanted yeah. to follow up on that. I'm forgetting the name, the 360 something. Oh yeah, that's the, yeah. yeah. So the three, that was what I was talking about with the um, with the license helmets versus the, okay. uh, the okay. 360 technology that they own themselves. Um, so that is a big differentiator uh, within the helmet market. And it does, it does help their margins, but also I think it does, I mean, like people know them for their safety and they're in, and, and they, and that's why the helmet sales have been like as, as crazy as they have been this year um, is they, the the technology is relatively new. I think they just came out with it in like February in their helmets. Um, 
And that's why you see kind of like, you know, everybody's out there trying them. Um, you know, they have their, their high end helmet is kind of like this carbon fiber helmet that, uh, you know, if you check any of the review sites, it gets rated really high. Like I think it's number one on a few of them. Um, so, so their products are pretty highly rated and, and seem to be doing really well, um, especially on the helmet side. Um, and the neck braces are kind of the go-to as well. Um, they're kind of well-known in the industry as, as the go-to for neck braces. So are those, yeah. are the neck braces higher margin than the helmets? Yeah. The neck braces are the highest margin, uh, products that they have. The helmets are slightly below that. And then it kind of gets into the body armor. Uh, is all kind of below that, and then apparel at the at the low end. But still, I, even with the mix that they have, like I said, it's it's not going to be a material. Even if they really get into apparel more, it's not going to be that material of a of a hit to their gross margin line. Um, the helmets are, are are still up there. I think they're kind of above the the average. So, all right, all right. Well, I think that's all the questions we have uh, for listeners who want to keep keep up with you uh we, we already mentioned the twitter but where where are the best places to do that yeah so uh you can you can follow me on twitter at uh, deep sale capital uh you can go to my website uh .com. Uh, those are the two best places um yeah yeah uh, i like i said I, I follow a lot of small micro caps so always interested uh, especially if you find a company like liat where they uh you know, you, you think they got uh, great management, um, always looking for things like that. So um, the only other thing I'll throw in on, on Liat, um, which I, we, we kind of talked about a little bit, but, um, and, and I talked about MIPS. So they're kind of like the competing technology in the helmet space. And one thing I think is interesting is if you look at MIPS, they have additional verticals that they sell through that, um, that Liat does not. So they sell through like more casual bike helmets and they also do occupational helmets. And so that's something where Leet could easily get into those markets, I think, if they wanted to either get into them themselves or even license the technology that they have similar to the way that MIPS does. And they could license their technology maybe into a different vertical. So they're not, so they're still selling their own helmets, you know, within the, the moto and the, and, the, and the mountain biking space, but maybe in a different vertical, their licensing technology. I think that's something they're thinking about. And if they did that, I mean, it would only be accretive to the company valuation for sure. All right. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. And I'll give a, another shout out. I've, I've read some of deep sale or, or Sean, your quarterly letters. I recommend going to the website and checking them out. There's a lot of good information on there and there's an industry deep dive as well on cell and gene therapy, which I thought was good. So feel free to go and check those out listeners. If you want, we'll, we'll try to provide all the links in the show notes, but that is going to do it. So we want to remind you guys that Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on chit chat money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, However, general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Sean, again, for coming on the show, and we'll see you guys next time. Hey, Simon, we wanted to ask you a few questions about seven investing so listeners could get an idea of what they're getting. What inspired you to start the company and what exactly is seven investing well hey ryan thanks again for having me you know we from years of working in the investing industry it was inspired by conversations with people that would just always have kind of the same negative perception of the stock market right it's it's too hard or i don't have time for this or this is stacked against me 
And those conversations kind of led me to say, hey, we need to create a site that actually does inspire people to say, you can take control of your financial future. You can invest in stocks. You can find good stocks to buy and hold for long periods of time. And at the end of the day, too, we know that everybody is different. Um, we don't believe that there is one stock that fits for everyone, right? Maybe you're a, a dividend-loving, you know, paycheck-cashing uh, income investor that might want an option that's going to be a lower-risk dividend-paying stock, especially right now with the economy being what it is. Uh, and then there are other people might say, hey, you know, I'm ready to hold on for 20 or 30 years. I want to take some swings for the fences. Let's go after those high-growth opportunities. And so I, I said, you know, this would be something that would be even more fun rather than just doing it educational and, as, and by myself. I said, what if I brought together a team of seven advisors, all with a diverse background and a diverse perspective of the stock market? So we could uncover more stones and look at a bunch of different stocks with a bunch of different investing styles and a whole bunch of different industries. And so seven investing is, is kind of the uh, the genesis of all of those that we started in uh, in March of 2020. And we said, let's look at a whole bunch of different stocks. Let's do the legwork of the analysis and let's present our seven favorite actionable ideas every month for investors to choose from. And let's start the conversation about which of these stocks is right for you and which one might be the right fit for your portfolio, knowing that investing is a very personal thing. All right. If you are a subscriber of 7investing, what do you get? Can you give an overview of what subscribers get? On the very first of every month, Brett, we release our seven new recommendations. So we are uh, coming up on October 1st here, at least in the recording of this. And you know, on October 1st, we'll release seven recommendation reports. Some of them will be low risk. Some of them will be high risk. Some of them will be biotech. Some of them will be financial services. We run the full gamut. And as a member, you get immediate access to all of the new reports. But you also get access to all of our old recommendations as well. We track all of them in real time on our scorecard at 7investing.com slash recommendations. And we also provide company updates on all of those previous recommendations as well. We check in on how things are going. And sometimes we even see red flags that we think people should be aware of. There's risks for any opportunity at the time that you recommend it. And sometimes it's really willing, it's really, it's really needed for investors to kind of understand the risk and reward relationship. And then the last part of it is in addition to issuing new recommendations and providing updates on them is we know that this is a long-term journey. We know that investing is something that we want to take uh, years, if not decades, to accomplish whatever we want to get to as, as the end goal. And so we always, every month, make it a point to be very available for our subscribers to ask us questions. We have a members-only call uh, right in the middle of every single month. We have a community discussion forum that we that we have available 24-7 to not only talk to our advisors, but also other investors. I think that's one of the key differentiators for 7investing is that, you know, we know this is a long-term journey. We know it's a very personal thing. We know they're going to have questions along the way. We don't want to just broadcast stock picks and disappear. We want to be here with you uh, throughout this entire journey. And you mentioned... So seven recommendations each month. Sometimes those might be repeats, but obviously there's a lot of companies now in the seven investing universe. So how do members get a grasp on the the advisor's conviction around certain ideas? Like which ones do do they are do they have a way of knowing which uh, whether advisors like certain ones more? That's the most common question we've gotten, actually, since we started is what's your favorite ideas right now? You know, we've done the diligence on almost 200 unique companies now and put them on the scorecard and people would say, hey, this is too much to keep up with. How do I even know where to start? 
And so we've kind of uh, evolved as, as a company. You know, one thing that we've started doing is best buys every month. Each advisor gets to pick any of their or another advisor's previous recommendations and put the flag on it that says, this is my best buy for October. And we publish those for subscribers. The other thing that we've started doing is issuing conviction ratings on companies that are also right there on the scorecard. So if you see a previous recommendation, we go everything from potential sell, which is the most negative flag we can put on a stock, to strong buy, which is the most positive bullish flag that we can mark things with. And you can filter through all of those to really quickly see, here's some of our favorite opportunities. And we've taken this even one step further now, Ryan, which is we've created a strong buy portfolio where every quarter now we've gone ahead and self-selected as a team through a pretty methodical process, our 20 favorite ideas, our 20 highest scoring companies that we've collectively come up with, our favorites of the entire scorecard. And we put these into what we're calling a strong buy portfolio that we publish each quarter, also available as an added benefit for no extra charge for seven investing members. All right, last question here. What does it cost to become a seven investing subscriber? Uh, and as a, you know, we'll talk about, or we have talked about before, if you're a listener, use code money to get a hundred dollars off your annual subscription. That's right. Yeah. We do have a monthly option. You know, you can come in and check out the entire scorecard for a month just to see what you're looking at for $49 a month. Uh, but our most popular plan is actually the annual option because it's at a discount to that. Uh, in fact, we've got a discount on the discount, like you mentioned, Brett, uh, $3.99 for the year is our is our annual option price. But if you use money, the Chit Chat Money promo code, it's down to $300. So you're basically getting the, the subscription for half price if you sign up for the annual offer with that promo code. That does not expire after the first year. As long as you remain an active subscriber, you get to lock in that $100 off a year benefit. All right. Well, as he mentioned, use that code money. Thanks for joining us, Simon. Thanks very much for having me.